Thank you, Marlene. All right, worship team, you guys can go down now. Thank you, guys. All right. Well, again, I'm Pastor Dusty. For those of you that don't know online, I'm filling in for Pastor Jim today. He's our our normal preacher, and I am thankful for that. I'm thankful for his labor in the word, and uh, I get the privilege of standing in this pulpit before you this morning, and I don't take it lightly, and I'm excited to share what the Lord has shared with me, but the beauty of God's word is that it's not just what the Lord shared with me, it's what he shared thousands and thousands of years ago, and, and that he's preserved for us in his word, and, and, and in this church, we proclaim that the Bible is the sole authority in our life. This is the truth, the only truth. And so we're just going to be talking about what it says this morning and trying to figure out what does that mean for us today. So I have a confession to make. I love power tools. Anybody Anybody like power tools? I know Keith does. He's not raising his hand, but I know he does. Uh, I just found that out recently. <laughs> there we go. He raised his hand. All right. Shoot something on the comment if you like power tools. I don't think that it's possible for, for someone to have enough power tools. It doesn't matter if you buy them or if somebody gives them to you. You just, you can't get enough. And, and the reason why you can't get enough is because each individual power tool has its own purpose depending on what you're doing and they can make your job a lot easier. And uh, I've been using a lot of my tools, I mean toys, I mean, wait, to- tools, there we go, okay, uh, to, because we've been working on our basement bathroom, and so I've gotten a lot of my, my power tools to work, but the one that I have been liking a lot lately is this one. Let's see, for those of you that are here, what do you think, what do you think this is? A drill, a screwdriver? Both. <laughs> Keith, a drill, a hammer. Yeah, it's a weird, awkward hammer. Um, but there's some foreshadowing in that comment there, Blaine. This is not just a drill. This is an impact drill or a hammer drill, depending on um, what company. But but what this does is it's kind of like a beautiful marriage between a jackhammer and a drill, and it's been so helpful, especially trying to drill things into cement, and so this is really cool. I love, I love power tools. It's beautiful, beautiful marriage, um, but as much as I would love to continue home improvement discussions this morning, we're here for a purpose, and we've been studying through the book of James, and this morning we're going to cover James 5, 13 through 18, so Go ahead and get there if you'd like to. James 5, verses 13 through 18. And while you're turning there, this passage discusses a powerful tool that God makes available to all believers, and that's prayer. Powerful tool. Arguably the most powerful tool that we have other than, other than his word as believers that's made available to us. So, James 5, 13 through 18, hopefully you are there in your Bibles or on your phone. Follow along with me. So, the main thing that we're going to talk about this morning is that prayer is a powerful tool because it helps us. It helps us in specific ways. And the first thing, the first way that prayer helps us as a tool is, is in verses 13 and 14, we see that it helps us align with the will of God. Prayer helps us align with the will of God. So, James verses 5, 13, and 14. We'll start there. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, 
anointing him with the oil with oil in the name of the Lord. All right, let's thank God for his word quickly. Lord, we thank you for your word and, and that we're opening it this morning. And I pray that your word, which the Bible says is living and active, would do its work in our hearts this morning and would be effective at impacting change in this congregation this morning, God. In your name, amen. Okay, so prayer is powerful because it helps us align with the will of God. You can't align yourself with the will of God if you don't know the will of God. And you can't know the will of God if you don't know God. And I don't mean just like knowing about God, like knowing stuff about God. I mean having a deeply personal, respectful friendship with God. That's the kind of relationship that you are going to need to discern the will of God. And one of the telltale signs that you have that kind of deep relationship with Jesus is that you go to him in prayer, in trials, and triumphs. That's one of the telltale signs that you have that kind of relationship with God, because no matter what is going on, the songs we sang this morning, many of them were no matter what kind of things are going on. And we sing those things and we proclaim those things because we desire a deep relationship with God. So prayer and praises are both relational terms. They're both activities that we do towards the Lord to raise our awareness or our consciousness of how God is, is moving and how he's working in the context of a relationship. And if you remember, as we've been going through the book of James, one of the main things that James is talking about is the concept of spiritual maturity. And a spiritually mature person has a solid strong faith and relationship with Jesus that regard, regardless of the difficulty in our circumstances, we go to the Lord because we are mature in our faith. And I don't think that it's a coincidence that during this pandemic, we've been going through the book of James. Isn't God good? He's helping us so practically, sometimes painfully, in what we've been dealing with, but God is faithful. He's showing us the practical hints and tools that we need. And this morning, we talk about prayer and praises, and it's just driving us towards that relationship is the key piece to our maturity in Christ. But it's kind of like God is saying, buckle up, buttercup. It's about to get hard. And he's been saying that for weeks and weeks and weeks, and it's so frustrating. We're having like waves and waves of this, of this COVID and we think it's over and then it comes back and the church is full and the church is empty and, and it's like God just saying, buckle up, stick with me, be mature in your faith. Another thing I read this week was that a mature person knows how to sing in suffering knows how to sing in suffering. Let's look at, let's look at uh, Paul and Silas in the book of Acts. This is Acts 16, verse 25. And it says, it says this. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were... What's the next slide there? Is that it? Oh, uh, the prisoners were listening to them. It was cut off on the back. Prisoners were, the prisoners were listening to them. So the story, the, the, the quick story on this is that Paul and Silas were arrested for healing someone. And the, and the person that got healed cut into the bottom line of the business of somebody that was owning this person as a slave. And they're like, I don't appreciate you taking away my money. That was making my money. And they arrested him. And so they were, in, they were in prison. And it's interesting that they were singing praises, singing hymns to God in the midst of that storm. I don't know about you, but if I was arrested wrongfully 
Just to be honest in my humanity, singing praises would probably be at the end, if not even non-existent on my list. But they did. And they showed their spiritual maturity and God moved in an amazing, miraculous way. So the first application this morning that I, that I just want to get brass tacks with this morning, and, I, and if you've got a pen and paper and you're writing it down, or if you're at home and you've got something, here's a question. What is your go-to song in trials? And, and, and maybe if m- many people in our congregation, maybe you're not like super musical. What's your go-to verse? What's your Bible verse? What's the, what's the truth that you hang on to. And and the beautiful thing about the songs that we sing here in this church, we are just proclaiming the truths of God's word. So you can hold on to the words of the songs we sing because they're based in scripture. So think about this. Here's some songs that that we sing very regularly now on a regular rotation. Raise a hallelujah. I'm gonna sing in the middle of the storm. That's something that you can hold on to. You can apply this when you're struggling with discerning the will of God or you're sick. You can hold on to God. I want to hold on to you and I'm going to sing even though it doesn't feel like it right now. Or how about the one that we sang this morning? Let praise be the weapon that silences the enemy. We, we praise you. That's, I'm sorry, that's not the one that we sang this morning. We sang House of the Lord. That is called, We Praise You. But you, you know that song, right? Let praise be the weapon that silences the enemy. When the devil is pulling out all the stops and throwing everything at us, when we continue to praise, we are mature and we are founded in Christ. But the reality is, discerning the will of God, especially in the midst of suffering, is a difficult thing to figure out. Would anybody agree with me trying to figure out the will of God? By a show of hands, how many of you have ever struggled to figure out the will of God in a situation in your life? Everybody in the entire sanctuary, all nine of them, raised their hands. Everybody struggles to know what the will of God is. And it's not, it's not an easy thing. It's, it's something that that comes easier as you have longer tenure in your faith and you're mature. It comes easier because you start, to, you start to major on the majors and minor on the minors and start seeing that the relationship with God provides you what you need and helps you have strength to make difficult decisions. But sometimes we pray and pray and pray and pray and pray and pray more, and we still feel lost. We don't know. We're not being healed. We're not uh, getting the answer that we're looking for. But let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever asked the elders when you've got a tough decision? It's just not something that we do. It's just not even, just kind of like I probably wouldn't praise in the middle of a difficult situation. We're not going to call the elders when we have a difficult situation. But it's very clear in this passage that that is what we are, that is what we are supposed to do. And let me tell you, let me tell you why. It's because the elders are a group of godly men that lead our church through difficult spiritual decisions. And if we have elders in our church that can't do that, guess what? They shouldn't be elders in our church because that's their job. That's their job collectively to help us through difficult decisions. But it's not just corporate church-wide decisions. It's it's every, every member of the church has that opportunity to reach out to the elders. This is what Titus 1, 5, 9 says about elders. If you want to write that down, Titus 1, 5 through 9, one of the places that just is so clear on the role of an elder. And it says this, Appoint elders in every town as I, as I directed you. We got, this is, uh, oh, okay. All right, so this might be a little bit different than what's on the screen. Uh, so uh, I will just read what's on the screen here. All right. So this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. 
If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, for an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of God, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. What a high calling it is to be an elder, whether, whether it's a, a pastoral elder, which just means professionally, I am able to do this professionally, or it's a lay elder, it's the same calling, and it's the same high calling. What a list. Doesn't that kind of person seem like the kind of person that you would want to help you? If that was true of someone, isn't that the person that you would go to in a time in a time of difficulty. We currently have four elders, and all of us would love to pray with you. We would love to shoulder whatever you're going with. And, and so um, I'm pretty sure everybody knows, but just in case, we have Ron Robinson, Jeff Kessinger, Pastor Jim, and myself. There's a team of four of us right now. But I want to tell you something we don't get calls very often. And usually when we get calls, it's because something is really, really horrible or it's a really tough situation. But in general, we don't, we don't get calls. Only one person in here raised their hand and said that they've called the elders before for help. And, and maybe others have, just didn't want to raise your hand. But we don't get calls that often. And I think there's a, a few reasons for that. And so I'm going to just just going to throw this out here. You can agree with this or disagree with it. This isn't the Bible. This is dusty. Um, so here's, here's number, thing, number one. I think a lot of people don't think that their problem is important enough to bother the elders with. It's like we, we have a classification of, you know, divorce and, de- you know, deathbed that are the only things that, that matter. And unless it falls into one of those two categories or whatever it is, we, the elders, you know, you just need to pull up your pants and figure it out, you know. So that's one thing. I think, uh, I th- here's another thing. People are private. People don't want to share the details, uh, especially the difficulties. Some people don't even want to tell people where they go on vacation, let alone if they've got cancer, because we're, pri- we're private people, and that makes it difficult to, to obey uh, and apply this text to our life. How about the third thing? If you're struggling with sin and you don't want to be confronted, you know you need help, you know you're stuck, but you know that reaching out to someone means that your sin is going to be probably laid bare, and you, and you, don't, you just don't want to deal with that. So those are just three things that, that I've seen in my pastoral work over the years. But here's the reality of, of all three of those situations, and there's probably others in the list, but here's the reality. All of the three reasons that I just listed will leave you alone in your suffering. You're, it's, you, you can have a God, you could be praying to God, but the people that God has made available to you, the elders, the godly men leading the church, you're, you're, you're missing out on that. And it's hard. It's hard. So here's the reality. The ball is in your court. This, this, this passage does not say, elders, make 17 phone calls every single week to make sure that the rest of the church is doing fine. It doesn't say that. It says, the burden is on the struggling person to reach out. But guess what a good elder knows? A good elder is attempting to know the flock and how to love and lead. But this says that the ball is on our, the ball's in your court. So, so seriously, the other elders are going to probably kill me for this. But call us. <laughs> seriously, test it out. Call, 
Call us, even if it's the smallest thing. Every little thing might not be we get all the elders together and anoint you with oil. It might just be a one-on-one kind of situation with an elder. But maybe we will. Maybe we will feel so passionate to pray with you. And I know that we have prayed with people in this room. They've reached out to us. And, and it has been a, a, good, a good thing, a good situation that we, that we want to do. So I want to take a, a little bit of a, a break. We're staying in the same vein. But I want to take a little bit of a break and give you a ridiculous scenario that is going to help us keep moving. But just to kind of keep things light a little bit. So remember, this is a pretend scenario, okay? Everybody say pretend. This is pretend or hypothetical. Okay, either way, okay? So, so let's say that there's a person that actually does do what this passage says. They're struggling and they reach out to the elders and they, and they, um, and they set up a meeting. And the elders get together with this person. And, and in this meeting, the person shares with the elders that they're really struggling in their job. They say that they feel underpaid, overworked, unappreciated, and underutilized. Have you ever felt like that? Has that ever been you? Wait a second. This is supposed to be hypothetical, right? Let me see my notes. Yeah, that was hypothetical, right? It's just a hypothetical thing, okay? <laughs> so, struggling with their job. Anyway, so this person is thinking that it might be time for a new job, but they're stuck. They've prayed, and they've prayed, and they prayed, and they just don't know what to do. They, they, feel, they feel stuck. And so, as the conversation unfolds with this person, this person confesses to these hypothetical elders that he's sleeping with his boss's wife, stealing from his company, and cheating on his taxes. Hmm. This person doesn't have an unemployment problem. They might have, they're going to have an unemployment problem. This person doesn't have an employment problem. What kind of a problem do they have? They got a sin problem. They, get, they have a, some sin issues that need to be dealt with. And, and the struggle on the workplace is just a symptom of the problem, the underlying problem of sin. And, and so that is the risk that you run reaching out to the elders if you are having a struggle. And not that we're going to pry and come at you with a hammer, but if, if we, just through the course of asking questions... It comes out that you're having a sinful struggle, then in love, we're going to say, you probably need to deal with this situation so that you can deal with this situation, which brings us to the second thing that we see in our passage this morning. So let's go back to James 5, and we're going to move on to verse 15. Okay, James 5, 15 says, And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. All right, so prayer is a powerful tool because it helps us realize that our sin can be the cause of our suffering. And I want to pause here because I want to make sure that this is very clear. Our sin can be the cause of our suffering. Sin is not always the cause of our suffering. So hear me out on this. Please don't send an email to Pastor Jim and say, don't ever let him preach again. It can. Sin can be the cause of our suffering. And many times in the Bible, the struggle with people that were hurting physically having a physical ailment, the belief was in the Hebraic world, the belief was that if you were hurting, it was because of sin. Great example, the book of Job. He had friends that were terrible friends trying to help him believe that he had struggling sin in his life. And that's why he just needed to confess it and get over his pride because that was the belief in the world at this time. So, so hear me say can be. Prayer is a powerful tool because it helps us realize that sin can be the cause of our suffering. It might not always be because we live in a fallen world. 
There are bad, horrible things happening all around us, beginning with Adam and Eve's choice to disobey God. The world is still paying the consequences. So we could be struggling because of that in government situations, in family situations. But let's stay on the train of prayer helps us realize that sin can be the cause of our suffering. Remember that James was writing to a group of people that had been beaten, bruised, and scattered. And they were being severely persecuted by the Roman government. So they were struggling because of their faith in Jesus and they were scattered and things were difficult. And this, this, this automatically my mind went to how do you respond when things are tough? Do you make poor decisions when you're tired? Do you make poor decisions when you're worn out? Do you make poor decisions when you're stressed? So imagine James is like, okay, the baseline is that all of you guys are stressed out and life is tough. That's the baseline thing that I know is true of every single person receiving this letter. I know that is the baseline, but human nature, when we're tired and things are going rough, we can tend to make bad decisions. And what's interesting is the word in, in, this, in this verse um, for sick, those of you that are sick pray, those of you that are sick call to the elders, that word can also be translated as weakened by suffering. So sometimes, sometimes we are just Things are so tough. We have just been hit by so many times. We are so weak that we're susceptible to making bad decisions. And so I, I, it depends on the commentator that you read. Some of them would say that this means that someone is sick as in a physical ailment. And some would say that it could be extended to emotional distress, which we know in the context of what was happening. That's definitely the case. But I thought that was interesting so if we are weak because of sin that, we've made, that we have done, healing is going to begin with confessing that sin. So even if we did have a physical ailment, but we have sin in our life, the physical ailment is secondary to the primary problem, which is unconfessed sin in our life. And that's when the healing begins. God begins a move in your heart emotionally and spiritually that then prepares the way for a physical healing, potentially, but not guaranteed. We'll get to that in a little bit later. But weakened, we're weakened by suffering, and healing begins with confession. And so it's interesting in this passage, we read it and we think, oh, this is the passage that talks about the prayer of faith that. Um, and the prayer of the righteous person that availeth, availeth much, if you know the King James. And so we automatically go to prayer. And this, this, this is about prayer, for sure. But does it ever strike you interesting? Like, well, what do the elders really have to do with prayer? This is like teaching us about prayer. What is the elders? And then what is singing songs? And then what is confessing our sins one to another and praying together have to do with prayer when all the subtitles say the prayer of faith and the prayer of righteousness. It's because God made us as a communal people. A communal people. So we do not have a microphone sitting here that is reserved for the confession of sin publicly every single week because that's not what this passage is saying. This passage is saying if you're struggling with sin, Go to the elders and confess your sin and the healing will begin. The, the, the making you whole again will begin by the confessing of your sins. But in this passage, James, in James 15 through 16, remember we, we have to read the Bible for what it says and not what we want it to say. And it says the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up if he has committed sins. Well, one of the things that, that we don't know as people living in 2022, reading an English Bible, we don't understand the original writing. Well, the original writing 
that committed sins in that passage could also be translated as constantly sinning. A habitual pattern of sinning. Or another way to translate that could be someone who is under the consequences of sins committed. So maybe you're not consistently committing sins, but you have committed sins and you are living out the consequences of those sins. So it's interesting in this passage and in James, it's so practical. We want to know the will of God and we think it's so mysterious, but like I said earlier in our hypothetical situation, we're cheating on our taxes and we're um, stiffing our boss. You know, we're, we're, we're having all of these regular sins in our life and wondering why we can't figure out what God wants us to do. When God is saying, I love you, I want a relationship with you, and sometimes that's painful and it's gonna require you to be confessing your sins. If we wanna get out of, from under the oppression of guilt and shame, then we need to be confessing our sins. And this kind of confession is not go to the priest and get it off of your shoulders so that you can go back and do the same exact thing and then have this cycle of just saying, I'm sorry, and then coming back. This, this is a, this is, it's not even going to a pastor or a priest. This is saying, God, I admit that I am sinning. And in relationship with God, he helps you realize, yeah, and you know what? Here's all these consequences that are unfolding because of that sin. And because I love you, I want to help you. And sometimes the way he helps us is through the elders coming and getting involved in our life. Sometimes he helps us because you confess your sin to a close friend, a confidant, and that person says, yeah, did you think about, did you think about this? So the, the, the communal aspect of this passage in James is, is just saying we can't be lone wolf Christians. There's tools that God has given us and we need to be regularly confessing our sins. So 1 John 1, 9 is such a great verse. Such a great verse. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, 9 Underline it, write it down, and then do it. Confess, confess your sins. Nobody wants to, but the payoff is an intimate relationship with God and feeling the healing that forgiveness brings because sickness may not leave, but healing could still come when we experience forgiveness in Christ and joy can come, the joy of our salvation. So here's a, not a very popular concept but I'm going to say this, and you can, you can um, have a, a reaction in, in your own heart. Private sin requires private confession. If the sin that you're committing is not directly affecting anyone, directly or indirectly, then you need to be going directly to the Lord and saying, God, I'm struggling with this sin. But where the rubber meets the road, public sin requires public confession. I'm not talking about, again, we do not have and we never will have a microphone up here and carve a time out during the service where we lay our dirty laundry out in front of the whole entire church and let it go. That's not what this is saying. But if you are sinning in a way that is affecting other people, you need to be going to those other people you need to begin your confession with God and ask him to give you the grace to confess that sin to those that are being affected. So for example, divorce, there are no winners in divorce. The kids are affected, the community is affected, the church is affected, the spouse is affected. I mean, there's so many things. So it's not just, it's not, so when I say public and meaning it's it's affecting other things now if there is a pattern of sin in an elder who is in a leadership position and that person is influential in teaching others guess what that person is in a public 
role and their sin is impacting all of those people because they are looking at that person as a Titus 1.9 or 1 whatever that was, Titus something. They're looking at that person and trusting that that person is that and that person is not. So that elder in that situation needs to have a public confession. Does that mean they stand up here with the microphone? Not necessarily, but do they maybe need to go before the elders and have a little powwow about the impact of their sin? Do they maybe need to write a letter to their Sunday school class? I don't know what that means, but I know what this says. We need to confess our sins. And when our sins are spilling out over other people and causing damage, we as elders need to be strong and make sure that we're trying our hardest to remedy those situations because the world is struggling and people are suffering and the impacts of our sin are getting between us and discerning the will of God. And we need to confess our sin. Some, to go even a step farther, some Bible commentators believe that this passage that, I, that we're talking about, these verses in 15 and 16, believe that this passage is describing a church member who is undergoing church discipline and has been kicked out of the church. And the only way they're going to get the elders to come to them is because they are confessing their sin. They're saying, I'm sorry, you guys did what was right. You stood the ground and called me out on my sin. And in my pride, I was sinful. And they're calling and saying, I need you to come. I'm struggling and I need the prayer of the elders and the anointing of oil. Interesting. I don't necessarily agree with that, with that um, interpretation of this scripture, but it's an interesting, it's an interesting thought. And church discipline is a, is a difficult situation. But church discipline is reserved for those who call themselves believers who are trapped in public sin and pridefully unwilling to repent. I pray that none of you ever find yourself in that situation. But if your sin becomes a public sin and you are openly defiant against God continually, that is what church discipline is made for. And for the sake of the gospel the elders say, your pride has given you the exit from this church. And until you repent, you are not welcome back here. That's church discipline. That's hard. We don't do that very often. But it is biblical. And it, and it is right. So don't ever let that be you. God's given us prayer. Come to the Lord and ask him, God, give me your will. Help me to see that there is any sin in my life. Help me to confess that and to be made right with you and with the others around me. Sin's consequences are lonely and miserable. And it doesn't have to be that way. God has given us a community to be a part of, to help us pray and discern the will of God. The last thing is that prayer is a powerful tool because it helps us trust God for the miraculous. We're going to end on a end on an up on an up note. That's been some some rough things that we've covered. But verse 16, the second part of 16 says we're going to start with the prayer the prayer, yeah, God trusts for the, okay, so we're going to pick up in 16b, Lauren starts with the prayer of a righteous person. So the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. I can't believe that this is so hard to understand. How in the world could it not rain for three years? How did people live? Um, but that's what, the, that's what the Bible says. So miraculous, that would be pretty miraculous. Elijah praying for it not to rain, and it doesn't rain. So I think that we tend to see passages like this that that on initial reading when you when you read this passage it seems like 
this passage is saying, all I got to do is pray and then God's going to heal me. It seems like on the initial reading that that's what this is saying. Just pray. The elders are going to come over. They're going to anoint you with oil. We're going to have a healing service and people are going to be laid down. Boom, 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 boom. You're healed. You're healed. You're healed. You're healed. You're healed because we, we pray in faith. But, but that, is not what this, that is not what this is saying. That's not the context of this passage. This passage does say that we can be healed if we pray in faith and we're a righteous, and we pray the righteous prayer. It does say that and that can happen but it's not a guarantee. But a lot of times I think that we, and I'm putting myself in this category, we know that there are TV preachers that do line people up in front right here and they bam, 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 they're healing people. And then we hear later on in the news that it was all a hoax. And so we, we're, we're struggling because we're like, we know that God can heal. All of us probably know someone that God has miraculously healed. We know that God is a miraculous God and he didn't stop doing miracles. He is still a miraculous God. It's just not a guarantee that he does miraculous. But I think a lot of times as believers, especially as just as lay members of the church, we think the miraculous kind of prayers, that's what the pastors do. That's what the, the evangelists on TV do. That's what the, um, the traveling preachers do. That, that's, that's like a, a special thing that is reserved for God's super elite team. And this passage, James is talking about Elijah. He's not talking about super saints. He's not talking about, about people that are somehow special. It, he's saying Elijah, in this passage... He's saying, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. A nature like ours. So when we see, when we see that, that, that the prayer of the righteous availeth much, there, there, is, there is what gets that classification of righteousness is not superstar elite pastors what that means is that someone who is in a right relationship with God, the prayer of a person who is in a right standing with the Lord is powerful and effective. And that is every single person that calls upon the name of the Lord and is confessing their known sin and is in right relationship with the Lord and asking him to discern his will. And then when we pray his will, powerful things happen because it's what God wanted to happen. And the righteous person knows that because they're in a right standing with the Lord. Righteous people get what they want in prayer because they want what God wants. That's the prayer that God answers. If it's what God wants and you pray it, you can take it to the bank. If that's what God wants and he's objectively shown that in his word, God is going to answer that prayer and it is going to be an amazing, miraculous thing because we're just praying what God wants. We're aligning ourselves with his will. If you want to learn how to pray powerful prayers, then you need to learn how to pray like Jesus did. In Matthew 26, 39, says, and going a little farther, he fell on his faith saying, my father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. So anyone that stands up in front of us and says, God wants to heal you and he will heal you right now, what happened with Jesus? Was not healed, was not delivered. What happened with Paul? Had a thorn on his side and and what did God say to him? My grace is sufficient for you. My name will be glorified more in your suffering and in your weakness than it will be if you were healed. All of those healings that happened in the New Testament with Jesus, they turned away and they walked away because they wanted a hot meal and a show. And, and Jesus, when the teaching got hard, what did Jesus say? Where did they all go? Are you gonna leave me too? Healing is not guaranteed, but we need to pray like Jesus did. Not my will, 
but your will. And that's the kind of prayer that God answers. And then God begins to help you ascertain what his will is and to get you those finite decisions. When you humble yourself and open yourself to friends and confidants and maybe the elders and, and you follow a deep relationship with Christ, he provides freedom. He provides peace. And sometimes the best thing is God's like, I don't really care what you do. You're going to be fine either way. Just make a decision. It doesn't matter. I'm with you. Stop freaking out about it. I'm, you're good. It's going to be fine. No matter what. Find what God's will is. Remember throughout the entire letter of James, he's focusing on spiritual maturity. That, that is one of the themes that is etched throughout the whole entire passage. So mature people pray because they want to be in alignment with God's will. That's why you pray, not to get the answer, because you want to know what your father wants. That's maturity in Christ. Mature people pray because they realize that sin can be the cause of their suffering. Nobody's pulling the wool over a mature Christian's eyes. We know we have a sinful nature, and we know that um, our tongue can be a destructive force. We know all the things that we've read in the previous chapters, the hard and difficult things that James has said are all true when we know those things. And, and when we're mature, we realize that and we take that to the Lord. We ask him to give us clarity in the situation as we confess our sin. And lastly, mature people pray because they trust God for the miraculous. Prayer is the correct response. For suffering. That's the correct response. Healing is never guaranteed on this side of heaven. It's not a guarantee. But healing is guaranteed. We will all be healed one day. Every single one of us. That is a truth that you can hold on to when we get to heaven, when we all get to heaven, the old song says, we will be in the presence of Jesus and we will be healed. Why is that not enough? Why do we have to have it immediate like, like a child? We gotta have it immediately. We want instant gratification. Healing is guaranteed, just not necessarily on this side of heaven, either immediately or in the resurrection. We're gonna be healed. And it's, it's interesting, there's just so many other things out of this passage, but I'm gonna end with this. If Marlene, if you could come up and she's gonna play a little song for us. Um, I was talking to my wife and I just gotta be honest with you. I have no problem believing that 2,000 years ago, a man came who was the Messiah of the world and died on a cross and rose again to heaven and then is going to come back and get me. I have, I have no problem believing that at all. Zero. I have absolute assurance in my salvation. I know that is true. I know that I know that I know that I know. But I'll just be honest with you. I struggle to believe that God will show up right here and right now and do miraculous things. I don't have that kind of faith. I need that. I want that kind of faith. I want to be able to pray that kind of prayer, the prayer of the righteous person. And the only way that that's going to come is through me sitting at the feet of God and getting his heart and having that kind of faith. If God wants to do it, he can do it. And I want that kind of faith. And I hope that you want that kind of faith. Because God wants that kind of faith. Because God's that kind of God. He can heal. He has healed. I've seen it. You've seen it. And he wants to. But he wants us. He wants us. He came and died to ransom sinners from hell. And to make us whole again. And to make us right again. Jesus' death on the cross provides us righteousness. 
We can pray the prayer of a righteous person, not because we are righteous, but because God, through justification, has given us a right standing with himself because of Jesus Christ. And that's why we can pray the prayer that heals cancer. That's why we can pray the prayer that brings back broken marriages. That's why we can pray the prayer that brings back straying children. Because that's what God wants. God wants marriages to come back together. God wants children to come back. Those are the things that God wants. But sometimes God's glory is better put on display through our suffering and through our trials. And he is a good enough God to love us enough to say, I'm going to be with you in that storm and not take that storm away. And there is a really cool old song called What a Friend We Have in Jesus. And um, as, as, a, as a response to this message in joy, why don't, we all, why don't we all stand together and sing this simple, simple song that is so, so, so good Let's just sing this together in, in thanks and just in a reminder of the simplicity of this message and the, and the love of God. Do we have the lyrics for this one there, Lauren? Okay, all right, I'm gonna come over here. All right. What a friend we have in Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Everything to God in prayer. We'll just leave it right there. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. What we have a friend in Jesus. And that is, is so good. Let's let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your love for us and for the simple, powerful truth of your word. And I just pray, God, that this would be a believing church that would go to you in prayer, a kind of church that, that takes their trials and takes their triumphs to you and leaves it at your feet because they desire you more than healing. They desire you more than ease. Be faithful, God. Be faithful to this church. Be faithful to these people. Be faithful to our country. Be faithful to your world. We love you, and it's so good to know that we can trust you and that you love us. In your name, Jesus, amen. Hope to see you next week, guys. You were loved.